0: listening to the Recovering Methodism podcast, a global Methodist voice for navigating life and ministry in the 21st century, tackling the issues impacting the church, and recovering the distinctly Methodist practices to participate in the next great awakening. And now your hosts, David Cady and Caleb Spiker. Dave, we are back.
1: We are right here for our new podcast.
0: That's right. Now, this uh, podcast will be coming out the day after the Big Ten Championship game, but we're recording it the Monday before the only game that matters. Right. It's Thanksgiving week. It's Michigan week. We know what's going to happen in Ann Arbor this
1: Saturday. And, look, I'm looking forward to being in Annapolis and uh, hosting the trophy after we beat the Hawkeyes. That'd be nice. It's going to happen.
0: I mean, do you want to go ahead and – predict that future now. Do you want to flex your prophecy muscles and congratulate the Buckeyes on beating Iowa because this podcast will come out the Monday after? I feel fairly confident that that's going to happen, Caleb. I mean, I really do. I I appreciate your confidence. That is that's is the confidence of a youngest child who has had you know, just nothing but God's blessings from the beginning.
1: Well, you have not because you ask not, <laughs> and I've done a lot of asking about this.
0: <laughs> now, we're not here to talk about football today, are we? No, no. We are talking about uh, experiencing Christian maturity um, and how small group ministries, specifically uh, accountable discipleship in the, the Wesleyan way, uh, helps us experience that.
1: I, I think that's a very uh, timely and relevant conversation uh, that we are embarking on as global Methodists. Um, we we want to put the method back in Methodism, right? That's right. So uh, that's part of the deal. And so as we talk about what it means to live in this new reality, um, forming these kind of small group experiences for people to do life together and to mature in their faith, it's critical to the process.
0: Oh, it's at the very center. It is. It's at the very center.
1: As I've heard you say many times, um, we get to be Methodist again,
0: right? I know, isn't it great? Yeah, it's
1: fantastic.
0: And this is this has been the uh uh the the great religious desire of my heart for a minute now. Uh, I heard you say it
1: last night at our event here at the church. Pray <laughs> that God would get us put us in a church where they actually want to be Methodist. And I watched the faces of people as you said that and like, well, didn't we leave the Methodist Church?
0: Hmm.
1: And the answer is no, we left the United Methodist Church. That's right. And we joined the Global Methodist Church so that we could actually be Methodist again.
0: That's right. That's right. And a big part of being Methodist um, is, and when we talk about the method that makes Methodism Methodism, is this idea of watching over one another in love, um, accountable discipleship, and for Wesley, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Like if you want to grow in Christian maturity, it will happen in these accountable relationships. Like when Wesley said, there is no holiness, but social holiness, he wasn't talking about, um, you know, taking food to the homeless, while that's a good thing, he was talking specifically about if you want to be holy, you do it in community with people who are also seeking to be holy.
1: Well, sure. Christianity is a team sport. Indeed. Right? And I think it's important to remember that, that Wesley, um, he didn't invent sanctification. Hmm. He didn't even come up with the idea of entire sanctification. That's, that's scriptural.
0: I mean, that that was the uh, the heartbeat of the church in the first four centuries. Absolutely. It's that uh, that recovery of primitive Christianity. Yeah. It's,
1: it's exciting, man. It's Isn't where it? we are. So, uh, so today we're just going to talk about small group community being necessary to moving toward maturity. And uh, I think for a lot of folks out there, perhaps, uh, we understand that on paper. That makes perfect sense. But when the rubber meets the road of how to do that, that's where we may have some questions. And mm -hmm. and I think we have some questions to ask today as well, and it would be great to hear from some folks at other churches to say, hey, listen, we've been doing this, or we'd like to do this, and we have some questions, and the email address here at our podcast is...
0: RecoveringMethodism at gmail.com.
1: Yes. so if you have questions, or if your church has successfully navigated this process, uh, just send us an email we'd love to hear from you
0: yeah and I think um, I think maybe the place that, that we really need to uh, make sure we have clarity on before we go much further is is what we we talk what we mean when we talk about um, accountable discipleship because um, it's not it's not another Bible study you
1: mean I I need to cancel the order for David C cooks Sunday school curriculum for for this process
0: I mean you don't need to Cancel it, but it's not going to be that helpful.
1: Okay. Well, I always liked David C. Cook stuff. It was, you know, part of my background.
0: I, I, um, I don't think I've ever used David C. Cook's Sunday School material. That was last
1: century, but that's okay.
0: Oh, I would explain That's that. another conversation.
1: So when you say it's not another Bible study, what, what do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the goal of accountable discipleship, um, it's not education, which doesn't mean education won't happen, mm-hmm. but the goal is to grow in maturity. The goal is transformation. Right. Um, which means that, you know, you are definitely going to study Scripture as part of being in a accountable discipleship group. But um, the goal is not simply to learn what the Scripture says. The goal is to... See God move in your life and speak to you through His Word, and to be able to to share that with uh with the community that's pulling for you,
1: yeah, but can I do that just on my own in my own private devotional time? Can I just search the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to show me some things that I need to be working on in my life?
0: you can um but you run into Uh, this sticky little problem of confirmation bias. And we really need other people in our lives to be able to uh, speak the truth when we are lying to ourselves. So as
1: Wesley would say, and as we often like to say around here, we, we need others to watch over one another in love. That's right. We need people to watch over us in love. We need to fill that role in other people's lives. So when we talk about accountable discipleship, um, we're talking about watching over one another with love, and say, uh, "Listen, brother, I know your tendency is X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know if you're seeing this part. Yep, right. And I want to come alongside you and pray for you. And when you're in a, an accountable uh, discipleship relationship, when you trust the person on the other side of the table, um, you know that that's what they're trying to do, trying to help you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know accountable discipleship is is inherently inductive. And that there are questions that are going to orient your life together. Um, and one of those is, you know, how can we be praying for one another? Yes. Um, because we, we believe that prayer is powerful, that God hears us, um, and that when we are, are committed to interceding for one another, um, that is the catalyst to experiencing uh, growth and maturity.
1: I would agree with that, and so one of the questions some someone may ask is, "Well, is this something that's in the Scripture? Can we find any evidence? Can you point me to something in the Bible, New Testament, that demonstrates this concept uh, in the pages of of, of the of the Christian Bible?"
0: I mean, it sure seems to be what the author of Hebrews is talking to um, to those early Jewish Christians about uh, when he says, "Don't neglect getting together." Um, but rather, uh, spur one another on, um, this is, this is not an idea of, uh, you know, sitting together in a circle and smiling at one another with our Sunday best on and playing church. I mean, this is getting, this is getting intimate with one another. Um, I mean, this is, this is the, the language of, um, of struggle. It's, it's the language of, of friction, um, it's the language of, of being open and honest and vulnerable enough with someone that they can actually meet you where you are. So you mentioned Hebrews, and we know that for the
1: first century Christians that were um, being addressed in this book, uh, it literally was a matter of life and death for their faith mm-hmm. anyway, That's right. or life and death for their life right and so uh, part of my understanding of hebrews is it's written to encourage these believers to stay believers mm-hmm. and and you mentioned that, that passage from hebrews chapter 10 and i looked it up as you um looked at it over here as you were talking about it and i, I have on my bible i have several lines underlined from hebrews chapter 10 and, and what sticks out for me is the pronouns that are used in that passage so for example in chapter 10 verse 20 Two, let us draw near to God. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are habit of doing. And then the finishing part of verse 25 is, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. What do you notice, Caleb? What do you notice?
0: They are plural pronouns. Yeah. I mean, in this, uh, you know, this is what a, a, a nineteen eighty four NIV. So this was before uh, having plural pronouns as your personal pronouns was a thing. So very cutting edge. Very cutting. edge. <laughs> but you, we make the point here that
1: um, this is a team sport. It was from the beginning. Primitive Christianity yeah. is a team sport.
0: Yep. You're not. You're not intended to do this alone, but. In, our... In the words of Wesley, holy solitaries makes as much sense for a Christian as holy adulterers. Wow.
1: That's, a, that's an interesting statement. Um, so I, I think what it does, though, is it reminds us and it challenges our, we'll say, our modern Western sensitivities that, you know, I, I'm an individual. Mm. I do this on my own. It'll get better. I'll pull up my bootstraps, and it'll be fine, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and what we find in the scripture, what we find in our Wesleyan heritage, is uh, that's not how you're supposed to do this at all. No, you're supposed to do it together, in community, and part of our task, really opportunity, as uh, as Global Methodists, is to recover that. That's right. Right. So that's what we're talking about today a small group community necessary to moving toward maturity. And as we move toward um, the library, we're going to talk about a book that spells that out. And when we get to the toolbox, we're going to talk about some nuts and bolts of how to practically unfold that uh, in the life of a church.
0: That's right. All right. Anything
1: else from a a big idea perspective that you want to touch on before we transition?
0: Yeah, I think um, as is the case with Uh, all of these different disciplined activities we we do in the Christian life, um, the point of it isn't the activity in and of itself. That's right. Um, The point of being a small group isn't being in a small group. That's right. Uh, The point of being in a small group is is giving someone permission to love you enough to uh, make sure that you are creating space for God to work in your life, and you're living slowly enough to be able to recognize when God does it. Um, because, you know, we've we've been in churches uh, with people who have um, been doing uh, small group ministry for the sake of doing small group ministry, and they are in the same small group for 30 years and have experienced virtually no transformation. So, I mean, there is a way to do small group ministry in a way that does not meet the goal. Um, but as, as global Methodists, part of what we are seeking to recover um, in this essential Methodist practice is that way of doing uh, small group ministry that truly um, sets us up to, to live transformed lives. So
1: part of the question that uh, is inherent in the Wesleyan movement do you expect to be delivered from sin in this life?
0: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: And if the answer is yes, which I think that's what the answer is supposed to be, the question is how mm-hmm. do we accomplish that? And Wesley would say, let me show you how. That's right. right. And that is the class meeting, small group, what we call it, small group meeting that's specifically designed for life transformation.
0: And now it's time for Caleb's Library. Here we are in Pastor Caleb's library, and we have uh, a special event. Uh, Dave has read a book, friends. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, so uh, this is a book um, that I think I gave you like six months ago, right? You did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Um, it's it's one that I have uh, really liked over the years and has been. Um, a central piece of uh, how small group ministry has has uh, shaped my uh, life as a pastor, um, and it is the class meeting by Kevin Watson. Yeah, very appropriate for what
1: we're talking about today. Very appropriate for what we're doing in the Global Methodist Church. Um, Kevin's contribution to the idea of a recovering sanctification, mm-hmm. entire sanctification, and the process and method by which. Uh, An individual gets there. But first, let me just say this. Uh, This is like a Sasquatch sighting, okay? (laughs) I have finished a book, right? I can't tell you the number of books I've started, right? (laughs) I got a ton of books. Like the first three or four chapters are highlighted and dog-eared and notes and asterisks all over the page. And then, you know... They just sit there. So I actually finished, you know, Caleb, it's been 20 years since the Beeson program Mm. that I actually finished a book. Okay, it (laughs) kind of ruined me because when you have 80 books to read in a year, you tag team it with your buddies and say, you read these three, I'll read these three, and we'll take notes and exchange it. So I'm gonna blame the Beeson program for breaking me in reading books. But, but but by the grace of God, Pastor Caleb is helping me to recover this concept of finishing a book. All right. Let me get off my little soapbox here. It's a Sasquatch sighting. I finished a book.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, l- let us know. What did you think of it?
1: I loved it. All right. First of all, just the satisfaction of saying, I finished that book. Right. So so uh, for full disclosure, I went through this book with a group of um, emerging global Methodists in one of the suburbs of Columbus who are mm-hmm. looking uh, to have a global Methodist congregation in their neighborhood. And so we're working with them on a church plant, and we worked through this book together over the past several months. It's really an easy read. There's only eight chapters. Mm-hmm. It really didn't need to take six months to go through it, but that's just the way the schedule worked out. Yep. So you can really do this with a group of people in about two sessions, uh, maybe three, right? And so the way the book is written is eight chapters, and the first four chapters are kind of giving you the conceptual idea, a little history, a little rationale and theology as to why this is important, and the last four chapters are really the how-tos, the nuts and bolts, all right? And so um, Watson reminds us in the first couple things that uh, this is a really a new kind of small group, but it's really an old kind of small group. That's, right. that's the first chapter. And it's really about recovering this process. And And I really like, one of the things I appreciate about one thing is he said, it's early on in the book, he reminds us that the message of Methodism, the message of Methodism is, and has always been, faith, repentance, and holiness.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And he talks about the method of Methodism, Is is, it's really the it's really the class meeting? That's right. That's how we that's how we achieve and realize faith, repentance, and holiness in all its fullness in our life. Right. That's right. And we talked about this in in the big idea is that we don't do this alone. We do it with others because we know our confirmation bias to say I'm fine, right? It'll be fine. Yeah. Right. In reality, it's not fine. Okay. I mean, we need someone who knows us well and who loves us enough to say, "Can we talk?" Right? And can I pray for you? And I got some questions.
0: Yeah, I uh, um, one of my seminary professors, uh, Jason Vickers, said that the the zeitgeist of the world around us is, "I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, except those religious nuts who say that something's not okay." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's who we are, right? Just pointing out the obvious, right? <laughs> Well, Watson goes on to talk about how the importance of the the class meeting gives us a little theological uh, framework for this. It's very important. Uh, it talks at length, I think, in chapter three about the pursuit of holiness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what that looks like in uh, not just, we'll say, thirty thousand foot theological framework, but practical. You know uh, how important it is for us as Christians, but as Wesleyan Christians. Uh, to not just talk about this with lip service, but to live it out and see it you know, being realized in our lives. Um, and he, he basically says in chapter four, this is what it means to be Wesleyan.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: as leaders of local churches, both clergy and laity alike, uh, this is what it means to be Wesleyan again, right? Yeah. And so ironically, this was written, what, about 2013, 2014? Something like that. It's been a while. So eight, nine, 10 years ago... Um, Obviously, a few years before the splintering um, of the United Methodist Church, what we call disaffiliation, Mm -hmm. uh, was very appropriate for where we are right now, uh, for those who have disaffiliated and are on this, this, uh, we'll say, pioneer of a new experience of Methodism in our own lifetime, uh, which is really cool to say out loud, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've got a great opportunity, and frankly, the only way that we don't become UMC 2.0, my opinion is to do this. That's right. I completely to be, agree. To be very distinct in our effort to become yeah. Wesleyan again.
0: Yeah. So chapter four, um, the the only time uh, over the last, you know, 13 years that I've been doing this, um, that I uh, didn't preach original material is I read that chapter one Sunday morning. Um, Cause it is that good. Chapter four. And I said like, I, I can't, I can't improve upon it. Like, there is nothing I can do to improve upon this chapter, so I'm just going to read it as it is. Well, let's just do that right now. I'm just kidding. Right <laughs> but, but, but chapter four does. It's, it's
1: where he talks about the message of Methodism and the method of Methodism. It's really the heart of the book. Yep. Right? And then he talks about the death of the class meeting really being a couple of things. He talks about the Sunday school movement where we went to information gathering rather than transformation, right? Yep. Which we talked about at the, the Big Idea set Segment. And then he talks about the uh, how Methodists became upwardly mobile, mm-hmm. right? And affluent. And all of a sudden, we've arrived, and we really don't and need... And we want
0: to impress the Presbyterians.
1: <laughs> well, that's part of it, right? Is that we arrived, and we're like, we don't really need all those things that we used to do, mm. because we're here now, right? Yep. And... Uh, so that's, that's part of the history of, of Methodism. And so the, the chapter is, is really rich and goes into uh, all those concepts of what it means to to really value this process um, in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate chapter four as well. And that really wraps up the the first segment of the book that gives you the theological foundation, historical concepts, and the call to recover this. And then, then the rest of the book is really the nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. right? How do you do that? So, um, I recommend this book just because it's important that we understand some of the, the concepts that what that Watson puts forth. You're not going to find a better book on the class meeting. I mean, this is it. This is gold standard. Um, it I, don't, is. I don't know what else is out there, but this is the gold standard.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I think there's a group of us that are trying to, uh, stand on Kevin's shoulders and, uh, Develop materials that are a little more user friendly for starting class meetings. Okay. Um, but as far as uh, that primer on what a class meeting is, how it functions, I mean, it's it it, it is alone on that shelf. So, as a church,
1: um, maybe a pastor is listening. They're they're newly disaffiliated. This is a book that they could take their church council through, their leadership board through, Mm -hmm. right? And point to it. As I have with our folks in Grove City and and said, I actually said to these folks, pointing to the room, I said, we don't get to do this, as I pointed to the people in the room. And then I pointed to the book and said, unless we do this. Meaning if we're going to have this new emerging um, congregation as Global Methodists, that doesn't happen unless we... Implement unless we're really actually Methodist. You got it. Yeah. You got it. And as in in this context that we're talking about in Grove City, um, it's a brand new thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, what do you say to someone who's in the midst of something that, yes, we disaffiliated? Disaffiliated. I said that differently. Disaffiliated. But they're tackling years and years of culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, I, I would say just go through the book. Take a group of people, your key leaders, just go through the book yeah. and say, what do you think about this? And how do we implement it? And and there'll be people, I guarantee you, God has raised up people in your church that will say, yeah, this speaks to my heart, Yep. right? Yep. And so uh, that's the unique part of Methodism in history is that God raised up people at a certain time in history to say, let's recover this primitive Christianity. And they call it Methodism mm-hmm. because there was a method to it. And the irony is, we get to be a part of something, hopefully, very similar in process, and if God be willing, something very similar in outcome yeah. in our own in our own lifetime. So, uh, any questions about class meeting book? I mean, I'm right now I'm the resident expert on it. That's I, right, you are. I read the book. <laughs> um, any questions you have about that?
0: Yeah. Um, so, as far as um, you know, we, we hinted a little bit about this in in the first segment um but with the different uh the different reasons why small group ministries may you know what may hold them together um what is what is it about um the class meeting that that offers someone um a tool in their pursuit of christian maturity that you don't get in um, a, a church fellowship group based around affinity or, um, you know, a, a short-term Bible study or a short-term mission trip or any of the things that we've talked about as sort of that, um, that spin cycle of the, uh, the consumer formation sort of piece, you know, how does the class meeting separate itself from that and offer something, offer something that is, uh, distinct and helpful and different than than those other consumer formation opportunities? Sure. That's a great question. A couple of things I would say just off
1: the top of my head. Uh, first, it's, it's not an eight-week experience. It's an ongoing experience, right? So in, in the consumer formation process, I'm going to sign up for a Bible study, and it'll be on Wednesday nights and I may miss a couple, but I get the gist of the book mm-hmm. and those are fine. That those are mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. We're not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that we're just been saying the outcome is different. Right? Yeah. And so this is not an eight week process, it's an ongoing process, right? This is a way of life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think also is I mean, I can hide pretty well in a in a Bible study, right? Sure you can. I mean anybody can just hide in a Bible study and And uh, not ask any questions, not give any answers, but just absorb the information and say, Oh, I I think I believe that. And walk away and say, yeah, I was in the Bible study. Mm -hmm. And feel good about it. Yeah. As they should feel good about being at a Bible study. However, um, in a class meeting, it's not designed to hide. It's it's, it's designed to participate Mm -hmm. in a way that we're real and authentic um, with the people in our group that leads to that kind of transformation of life. And I'll say this. I was just thinking as we were talking, you know who would benefit greatly for, and I think would really jump at the chance if it's presented in a way and designed in a way um, to to make it beneficial is um, a younger generation of people who are plagued by loneliness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right, and frankly are not haven't been real good at building relationships. Yep. Because of COVID or because of technology or whatever it may be that, that has led to where we are with our twenty somethings. But my goodness, a class meeting of twenty somethings, can you imagine what God mm-hmm. would do with that? Yeah. So I think that um I think what the class meeting does in, in addition to some of those other things is it provides authentic Christianity. Mm. And that these are people, regardless of their age, this is they really care about me.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm learning to care about them. And um I mean, I've heard you tell the story of a, a couple that uh, I think had a miscarriage mm-hmm. and how God had raised up another couple in that group, unbeknownst to anybody else, that yeah. 20 years later that had experienced the same thing. And you watched as God used that couple to minister to mm-hmm. the other couple, and they became really family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you don't experience that necessarily uh, in Bible study. You can. You can. But I think you got to work a little harder to get there. Yeah. But the design of a class meeting, or what, you know, you, whatever you call it, the class meeting concept, um, is designed for that very purpose. And ideally, it just it creates the kind of space uh, for the spirit to move and work that I don't know is created anywhere else.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly right. Is there anything else uh, about the book you want to make sure we are aware of before we? Uh, we put it back on the shelf and open up the toolbox? I'll just
1: say this. If, if Dave Cady can finish the book, anybody can finish the book. Kevin Watson is a great author, great writer, yeah. great thinker. It's not, any, it's not a hard read at all. Um, again, we took uh, three months to go through it. You can do it in two or three sessions. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, very practical. Um, it's, the concepts are very easy to grasp, um, and I think it's a great tool for the emerging global Methodist Church, for local congregations uh, to go through and to take your leadership team through um, and uh, to implement it. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about how to implement that as we yeah. open the toolbox.
0: Yeah. So we've uh, in the past we've we've said um, you know this is uh, if you're gonna read twenty five books this year make it one or if you're gonna read ten this year make it one. But it sounds to me like if you're gonna read one book in the next five years. This is the one that you're... That's
1: that's my story, story and I am sticking to it, Caleb.
0: Now for some practical wisdom for church leaders. Let's open up the pastor's toolbox.
1: All right, Caleb, we're going to open the toolbox... It is, and we're going to talk about today starting a small group. We've talked about the big idea, importance of Christian community as we uh, live into into maturity. Uh, we've talked about Kevin Watson's both the class meeting. And now we do. I think it's really important that we talk about the nuts and bolts of, of starting a, a small group that is designed as a class meeting. Again, whatever that small group is called, different churches call them different things. Yep. Covenant
0: groups, growth groups, you know, life groups, cell group, kitchen whatever, group you, yeah, whatever you, whatever you want to yeah. call it, right?
1: E groups, E fam, whatever.
0: Wesley groups, class
1: meetings, you name it. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's important, I guess, maybe just to say you don't have to call it a class meeting. No, no, you don't have to. Right. So how do you start one of these?
0: Yeah, I think um, the first thing uh, that, you know, once you've kind of uh, been in prayer around it and you are uh, convinced this is something God wants to do in your midst, um, I think the the first thing you need to do is figure out what are those uh, two or three questions that's going to orient your time together. Um, even before you start inviting people to be a part of the group, um, I think figuring out what those, those two or three questions that's going to shape your time together is, is really important. Um, and in my sense is that they, they fall into like three categories. Um, you know, the, the first question, um, uh, Craig Springer, uh, uh, he, uh, um, he talks about it in his book, uh, "How to Follow Jesus." Um, and that first question is, "How are you, really?" Mm-hmm. Um, what is that thing that's consuming you? What is sucking up bandwidth? Um, you know, what are you thinking about before you go to bed at night? Um, what do you think about first thing in the morning? Um, and oftentimes, this is the thing that the group needs to be praying for you about, right? So, so one of the questions is, "How are you?" Really, And there are several different ways to ask it. Is, is this related to Wesley's, how is it with your soul? So, um, yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Um, because I think when Wesley was asking, how is it with your soul? Uh, he was really, really getting more to the second question, um, which is, uh, what is God doing in your life? Um, and in our context you know, we ask this a little more specifically, uh, and we say, um, how is God, uh, meeting you in your disciplines? You know, so, so we talk about that, that necessity of the disciplines create space for God to work. And then in your accountable discipleship relationship, you come together and, and, and bear witness to that. Um, and it does a couple different things. One, it encourages the rest of the group. It's like, you know, Dave started fasting and now he's, uh, you know, reconciled with his neighbor because of what God did with that that thing, you know, that, that space that, that was created. Um, you know, uh, Caleb started uh, praying every night before bed, And, you know, he's had a burden to pray for whoever and, and that person just came to church with him last week. Right. So there's, so part of it is the encouragement of the group. And part of it's just to train our own vision to be able to be like, ah, yeah. Okay. So this is, um, this is how God works in my life. I can see it. Mm. It's not just, you know, vague and and out there floating it's in the stratosphere but very specific but I can specifically point to you know here's what God's doing and I I am my eyes are being retrained to see God at work in my life that's an interesting concept I I'm just flipping through the pages of my bible right now
1: as you mentioned it because you you took me as you mentioned I went to the beatitudes we just mm. talked mm-hmm. about the beatitudes recently and we know one of the beatitudes in Mark chapter five is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they yeah. shall see God. And again, my understanding from the concept of being pure in heart is having a singularity of focus, mm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so if I am locked in, right, yeah. in a spiritual discipline, right? I'm gonna take Friday, I'm gonna fast, or I'm gonna take Saturday morning and I'm gonna, I'm gonna prayer walk. Whatever it may be, I have a singularity of focus for a brief period of time, whether it's an hour, whether it's half a day, whatever it is, I will see God. See what I'm saying? And so what you're saying is creating that space in your life through the spiritual disciplines allows you to recognize God's activity in your life, Mm -hmm. right? And so that second question, uh, what is God doing in your life, is designed to provide the framework for people to... To answer that question. That's right. Okay. So as a group, right, we're talking about groups here. Um, the group has been practicing a spiritual discipline, mm-hmm. or individually, people are practicing their own spiritual discipline of choice. Yeah. I like the concept of having it as a group. We're all gonna mm-hmm. f- do this this week. Right? We're gonna focus yeah. on prayer walking, or we're gonna focus on searching the scriptures or whatever it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and then together everybody can reflect upon that. And I suppose someone could say, Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't really see God this mm-hmm. week. Right?
0: Is that Yeah. Reality? I mean, that's definitely reality. Okay. Um you know especially depending on on where we are in that um in that that journey towards maturity. Right? I mean there there can be seasons of prolonged spiritual discontent. Okay. There can be seasons where it feels like God is distant. Um, And there again, for the group to be able to continue to come around and to pray and to bear witness to God working can be really encouraging for someone who's in a lights out period. Right. It models the process.
1: When I hear the other person say, you know, I did this too, and I sense God saying, Mm -hmm. but it's also encouraging to say, well, I didn't hear God say anything. The person says, well, you try it again this week. Yep, that's right. We'll come back next week and we'll see. And I'm gonna come alongside and pray for you Mm -hmm. in that process that God will will speak to you in that. Yeah. So that's, you don't get that when you you do Christianity alone, right? Normally what happens is you give it a shot and you say, well, that didn't work, (laughs) right? Yeah. So question one, how are you really? Yep. Okay. And the second question, what is God doing in your life?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's usually geared around a spiritual discipline, right? What's the third
0: question? Then the third question is, um, who is God calling me to share the answer of number two with?
1: (laughs) Who is God calling me to share the answer to question number two with? Yeah. Well, I just shared it with my group. But what you're suggesting is, there may be somebody else on my heart that God may
0: be sh- calling me to share with. And and, um, and what we find is that in class meetings that are really, truly healthy, they become the center of evangelism in the life of a local church. Well, that's interesting. So
1: it may be a coworker, mm-hmm. right? It may be a family member, uh, maybe a neighbor that the Lord has laid on your heart that you may not even realize until the question's asked in the group.
0: Yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden the spirit says, "Bob, go, yeah. tell, go tell Bob what you just told your friends here." Right? Yeah. yeah. Um and I bet that gets really interesting if the conversation is around forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, we we prayed and I felt like I needed to forgive somebody, so I did. Great. Well, who 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 is the Lord leading you to share that with? Okay, now I gotta go tell Bob I forgot
0: him, yeah. right? Yeah, now, now it moves from forgiveness to reconciliation. Yes,
1: absolutely. So these are these are great guiding questions, and I could envision a, a small group or a class meeting where these are printed on a card. A lot of folks mm-hmm. maybe listening have an Emmaus background, and so that's really what Emmaus share groups were intended to try to accomplish by giving right. those guiding questions, Right. Uh, what was your closest to Christ this week? Mm-hmm. What was your discipleship denied? What's your plan for the upcoming week? And you do that in a community that sticks together uh, over a period of time. So, unlike a share group, though, a class meeting usually has a leader
0: mm-hmm. or two
1: mm-hmm. that are usually called upon by a leader of the church or a team in the church um, and specifically trained and modeled. And then let's talk about leadership selection
0: mm-hmm. of
1: the class meeting or small group process. What are your thoughts around that? What's your experience with that?
0: Yeah, um, I would I would say uh, probably the central thing that you know the last uh, you know twelve thirteen years of experimenting with this has taught me is that um, do not be afraid of going slow. Mm. Because um, I think oftentimes, especially in our previous denomination, um, the expectation was, you know, every three to five years you're going to be on the move anyway. So you need to get something done and get it done quickly so that the DS thinks that you're special and gets you a better appointment and what have you.
1: I've never heard of such a thing. Really? No, I'm just joking. I've heard of <laughs> <laughs> um, it. Right,
0: I got it. But uh, I think wisdom and the wisdom of, of starting a really, a lot of really bad class meetings that I, I have for you is um, that going slow is best. It is better to start one group and to work with them and to love them and to model it, to get them to the place where they can um, be self-sustaining And to take a person from that group and go start the next group rather than training six leaders in the hopes that you can have 40 people in a class meeting by Christmas. That's
1: interesting. Okay. Again, the concept of a thousand paper boats versus a seaworthy vessel. That's right. Okay. So part of the concept of this. Um, class meeting process is to instill the kind of DNA into the the, the group that is replicable in healthy ways, right? You want to yeah. replicate it in a healthy way. Now, pushback that folks may give you on this, I'm thinking, just being a part of the local church is, well, I'm with my friends. I don't want to split up. I don't, I'm don't. i comfortable with my group. Why would I want to split that up? Mm-hmm. So how, what's the response to that?
0: Well, Jesus was comfortable in heaven with the Father. Um, and sometimes what we are called to is the mission of the kingdom, not our own comfort. I would agree with that. Um, and that's uh, uh, that, that, that my response was, uh, was like that is why you're the pastoral one. <laughs>
1: well, Watson addresses this uh, in like the last chapter of his class meeting book, mm-hmm. and I like how he phrases it. He says, "A healthy group will always seek to give what it has found to others." Mm, that's right, right. And he goes uh, goes on to talk about on page one thirty seven. Uh, Be open to new life, mm. right? And the idea is not only are you open to to new life in your own group but you have a place in your heart where you want others to experience this as well yeah right and if you keep the group closed no one else is going to experience it yeah or if you say well what does bring more people into our group well now you have you know 35 people in your group and you just became a church that's right right but the concept is to keep this kind of nimble right and the size that is functional yeah. Uh, to give the space uh, for God to work in that group.
0: Yeah, and I think as far as group size is concerned, um, it's going to be a little bit flexible. Like I've been in groups with uh, talkative overshares, and if we had more than six people in that group, we would have been there all night. And I've been in other groups where people are a little more reserved and a little more straight to the point, not storytellers, and we could get away with 11. Um but I think that's that's one of the things that you just sort of navigate as you get into it, um, and even in, in the process of of getting started, um, you know, it's it's been my experience that uh, you can have a sign up sheet and there there can be, um, you know, there can be some really good things that come about with a sign up sheet, um, but more often than not. Making a personal invitation to eight, ten, twelve people, and um, and walking with them, um, and you know, being able to say, you know, I've been praying about this, and you know, you're someone who comes to mind when uh, when I think about this this kind of you know transformative discipleship experience. Um, I tend to see. Uh, better outcomes with those groups than the ones that are. Um, well, we all had Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock free, and here we are.
1: So a lot of small groups can develop based on geography
0: mm-hmm.
1: or affinity or open schedule yeah. or life stage or whatever it is. And that's been functional, right? In a lot of churches mm-hmm. over the last, we'll say, 20, 30 years is the small group movement has has grown in in our part of the, in our part of the world but i get the sense of what we're talking about here is a little bit different yeah and and maybe the takeaway from this conversation is that maybe the best way to start a class meeting type of group again whatever you call it but a class meeting type of group is model it model it model it that's right and maybe for those who are listening um, Maybe the best way to start it in your church is for you as the pastor or you as a key lay leader in your church is to just gather up six or seven other people that the Lord lays on your heart, mm-hmm. invite, and do it. Model it, model it, model it. Yeah. With the idea that in the next six months or so, whatever the time timeline the Spirit leads you to, to follow, um, you're going to leave that group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And someone else in that group is going to take over the leadership of it. That's right. And that's part of the DNA of it, Okay, yep. uh, which is a lot different than the affinity group, and we're going to be together forever, and this is going to be great, and why does that add, keep adding people to the class that we have? I've seen classes that you know get to be uh, usually Sunday school classes, uh, 30 and 40 and 50 people, which is great. A lot of excitement, a lot of traction, and great opportunity for Bible study and fellowship. And we're not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah, We're just saying that it may not produce the kind of maturity that that Wesley envisioned in the concept of the early Methodist class meeting. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I guess you,
0: that's definitely fair.
1: So I'm anxious to hear if there are folks out there at other churches that have implemented this process that make, may be able to chime in and say, hey, this is what we did. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe they could email us at recoveringmethodism at com, mm-hmm. and perhaps even... I'd love to have him on as a guest and just kind of hear their story of how that's worked out. I suspect that maybe if some of the research that Watson will do in the future, if if he, if he does this kind of research in the future, is how is this being implemented in the Global Methodist Church? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if his if his book from eight, nine, ten years ago becomes the textbook for that, how is it being implemented? Yeah. And what are the results of it? So. Um, be anxious to see. You know, we're going to do our best here at Riverside Church in Columbus to to make this a reality. Um, but I like the idea of taking it slow, and 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 building a good foundation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, no play on words here, because that's the name of our new that's member right. class, right? Yeah. Foundations. Um, and to model that over and over again with different groups of people, and um, letting it, letting it take off from there.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's that's really the. Um... The purpose of of the foundations course, as we developed it, was um, how do we how do we invite people into um, a an accountable discipleship, a class meeting type experience um, that will uh, truly truly um, be focused on transformation, um, and even if you go in with very little, uh, very little understanding of what you're supposed to be doing, um, that in that in doing it, you are you are building the the sort of life that God can work in, and you can go and share.
1: Um. This has been helpful conversation for me. I know, I have to believe it's a helpful conversation for others to hear as well. Um, because I think conceptually, um, as, as the dust of disaffiliation begins to settle, conceptually, um, every global Methodist congregation out there would say, yes, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Practically, there are probably lots of question marks around it. How do we do it? What's yep. this look like? And it will look different perhaps for different congregations, but we need models to say, okay, this is how this church is doing it. You know, Reynoldsburg Community Church is going to do it one way, yep. right? Cornerstone in Marysville is going to do it another way.
0: Yep.
1: Riverside Church is going to do it a different way. But at the same time, there'll be similarities, mm-hmm. and, um, and we can learn from each other and say, okay, that's a great idea. Let's, let's try that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I got to believe there's lots of co- congregations out there across the country, but even here in the Allegheny West Angel Conference, that uh, could benefit from this conversation. I hope so. I hope so, too. It's been a great day, great conversation about class meetings, about uh, small group community uh, being necessary to move toward maturity, and that, that's, that's who we have to be, It's who we're called to be, sure. as we re- recover this concept of, of Methodism. One last question, right? You heard my prediction at the beginning of the of the session today. Today is uh, um, November 20th. That's right. In just a, a few days, the game uh, will, ha- will happen in Ann Arbor, Michigan. What is your prediction? Uh,
0: in the words of uh, the great Clubber Lang, prediction, Pain.
1: Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving,